And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And welcome into another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, coming to you from Chicago here in Atlanta, where it's been raining for about 48 hours straight. Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network. Our guest doesn't have any of those weather issues because he's coming to us from Delray Beach. Uh, so we're all kind of envious of Danny Cannell. We, we already were envious of Danny Cannell for a number of reasons. I mean, the guy's living a good life, but he's also enjoying some good weather in South Florida. Danny, how are you, sir? I am fantastic. You know, it's funny because right now, currently, it is sunny. But about 30 minutes ago, we had one of those South Florida storms that just kind of blows through really quick. And my wife actually teaches some fitness classes on Zoom. Uh And she was outside, like on the patio, like beautiful day. And I look outside and she's just getting drenched trying to teach her workout class. Credit to her, though. She's she's an old athlete herself. Like she just powered right through, didn't let yeah. it affect her. So good for her. I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> uh, awesome. you know, Delray, we were talking before. Delray was not always, um, let's just say, an enticing place to visit uh, back when you and I grew up in South Florida. But uh, it's turned into like this glamorous, chic city that I always go down there and uh, and visit. Now you uh, you live there. So good for you. Uh, you and I haven't spoken in a while. Uh, we, we did some games together, some college football, uh, together at, uh, at ESPN and also did some college baseball. Um, I think we had a regional in Louisville together, but, uh, in this ever changing business, you've bounced around a couple of places since then. So get everybody up to speed on where you are, what you're doing today. So currently I have a couple bosses, actually three, um, which is, but I'm doing the same types of things I was doing at ESPN when I had one. So I have a radio show on Sirius XM, the first team, uh, Sirius XM channel 84 with Greg McElroy. That's Monday through Friday, uh, 7 to 10 a.m. And then I do stuff for CBS Sports HQ, including the Cover 3 podcast, which you can find anywhere with uh, Tom Fornelli and Chip uh, Patterson. And now Bud Elliott is going to be joining us. And it's it's a ton of fun. And we get a little bit we get a little bit nerdy, like hardcore college football. (laughs) And then I also do like some NFL analysis for CBS Sports HQ. And then. CBS Sports Network is different than CBS Sports HQ. It's confusing, but I also do some studio and game work for them. So basically, I I have a dream job. Like, I love it because I get paid to talk about sports for a living. And it's it's awesome. Like, I think we all have dream jobs because... I don't know about you guys, but like when I go to the golf course, what am I talking about? I'm talking about college football. You know, sure. when I go out with my buddies for a beer, we're probably going to either watch college football, the game, or we're talking about it. So, right. uh, you know, we've been lucky enough to be able to turn this into a, uh, you know, a, a way to make a living. And it's awesome. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time, my hobby became my job. And so therefore I have to get a hobby. So I'm like, so I'll read like history books and stuff like in my spare time now because uh, my hobby became my, my job. But you're absolutely right about that. It, it, we're all very fortunate. Um, it, it, it is, as I mentioned, though, a crazy business. And I, I'm curious how many people I guess it's been what, about five years now? Uh, I know personally, there are some people that come up to me and still say hey mike i enjoy your your big 12 work on fox college football i'm like dude i haven't been at fox for five years um 
so how often do people say to Danny Cannell, hey, I, I enjoy the work you do at ESPN when you haven't been there in a while? It's starting to, because it's going on, it'll almost be four years coming up in uh, April that I've been gone from ESPN, which is crazy to think how fast it's been. Mm-hmm. For about two years, it was funny because, you know, I was working with SiriusXM, doing stuff with CBS and I'd have people come up and they'd be like, Hey, I'm a big fan of your show. And I'd say, well, and I kind of like, cause the first time people would say like a year later, like I love Rosillo and Canell on the radio, ESPN radio. Yeah, and, they'd, and they'd say, I love you in Rosillo. And I'm like, that's awesome. But we haven't been on like, how much did you really <laughs> love the show? If, if you weren't aware that we weren't on anymore. Right. Um, I still like, this happens all the time. I was just in Tampa um for the super bowl and i was walking around the mall in tampa and i had this guy from across and he goes because you're the es he goes you're the espn guy and i was and i was like oh yeah i just wave it off i'm like yeah yeah like because they just recognize tv they know you're from somewhere they can't really pinpoint your name and then they just it kind of catches and then i swear i was i've never had this one before i was at nordstrom uh picking up a pair of like jeans and I'm in the men's department. And the guy that was helping me said, what's up, Joel Klatt? Love your work. I've never gotten that one. Like, I don't think we look that much alike, but it was just hilarious. So I laughed. And then, you know what? I'll, I, I don't have the guts to tell people like, hey, you're wrong. Right. So then I go one of two ways. You can either be like a complete jerk. And then they think Joel Klatt is a jerk or whatever yeah. they're confusing you for. Um, or... You just kind of let it roll off your back and just let it go the other. Because I don't want to embarrass somebody, so I kind of usually just I'm nice to them and just let it go. The other thing I get confused of all the time, and this happened in Tampa as well, is people will come up to me and they'll say, "I loved you with the Gators," and oh, no. that one hurts a little more. Ooh. But it's it's totally understandable because Danny Warfel and right. myself, Danny Cannell, we were at the same time, same era. So we had the same first name played, you know, within a couple hours of each yep. other, you know, Florida schools. And that one gets mixed up all the time. So I, those ones are funny. Like I've even gone as far, like people will say like, what was it like to play for Spurrier? And I'll kind of play along <laughs> with it. I'm like, well, he's a competitor. And, you know, like, <laughs> I'll just like, and I try to like get out of the conversation and say goodbye before they realize it. And let yeah. Them if you really it. wanted to just mess with people's heads you know, when, when they say, uh, Hey, what was it like playing for Spurrier? Go, I got to tell you, he's kind of overrated. Didn't really know much about <laughs> right. offense. I, I called all the plays, uh, exactly. kind of helped them out in the meetings. Yeah. Guy, guys really doesn't really know much about the game. Exactly. Um, I, I guess with that, and I assume people know these things, and that's bad hosting on my part. Danny Cannell, former quarterback at Florida State. I think most people know that. Uh, <laughs> or they thought I was in Florida. So <laughs> Yeah, right. right. Uh, obviously, the people, at, the people at Nordstrom uh, buying those uh, swanky jeans – uh, by, by the way, what those jeans run you? I, I'm guessing you weren't getting, uh, you know, you weren't getting Levi's. No, I, did, I didn't, but I'm a sale guy. So that's where I go straight to the sale rack. And I actually okay. got a pretty good deal on some AG jeans ah, for uh, oh. like right around a hundred bucks, which was close yeah. to half off, which is still insane. Still pricing. an insane amount, but AG is yeah. a good brand. I, yeah. I'm with you on that. Good, good, good work there. I, I, that's, I do remember, you know, you you were a bit of a bargain shopper when it came to eating dinner on on the road. Uh, no, I kid. But um, so that's the latest on you. And I, and I here's the thing about you. And I want to get right into this. 
Um, so we had Tony Barnhart on last week and Tony's like the lovable Southern scribe. Like so many of us grew up with, with Tony Barnhart. I think everybody likes Tony Barnhart, particularly in the South. Right. Um, you know, earlier in the summer we had Andy Staples on, I made the analogy. He's like the Paul Rudd of college football writers. Like nobody dislikes Andy Staples. Right. I mean, you got some guys that are just they're particularly, they, they showed their true colors, during the pandemic and it was almost like they wanted to be annoying and they wanted to be contrarian and just to get clicks or whatever, you know, that's, that's part of that business, I guess. When I think of you now, I, again, because I've, I, I know you somewhat and I got a chance to work with you. I would tell people, Danny Cannell is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but around, you know, I I'm in Atlanta, the heart of the SEC. We cover a lot of SEC stuff you became this kind of foil that people decided all of a sudden, I hate that Canell guy because he hates the SEC or he hates my team or he, you know, and I thought you kind of embraced that role. Did, tell me where, obviously you went to Florida State, so, you, you know, you have a right to hate like Florida as your in-state rival, but it went beyond that. It was kind of like the SEC is overrated mantra how much of that is how you really feel? How much of that is kind of playing, you know, radio and TV a little bit? So when I started in the business, I've been, I've been doing broadcasting for probably about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So back in, you know, 2010, 2011 was when I was getting into it. And at the time, there was a lot of SEC love that was going on at the time. Um, and if you remember... The probably the specific season when I took the most heat for it was when Alabama LSU played in the, you know, this unbelievable game with all this NFL talent in the field. And it was nine to six, right. kind of ugly. And then Oklahoma State was in the hunt for the championship as well. They lost a game to Iowa State and then we're comparing resumes. And what happened Alabama lost in the regular season. They got the rematch, came and won. And you know, there were a couple instances where I felt like the SEC was getting preferential treatment mm-hmm. um, because of a brand that they had built up. And I did feel at the time for sure that the, the conversation and the perception of the SEC absolutely gave it a boost that was an unfair advantage mm-hmm. where they, and, and it bothered me too. I've always been a proponent for expansion. Right. So if I can use that and say, all right, well, well, let's find out, let's get more teams in the playoffs. So let's get an Oklahoma state in there. Or I was even saying, why, why are we just automatically plugging in Alabama? Why aren't we giving Oklahoma state more consideration? Um, so at the time, like that was very unpopular. Uh, at the time, Alabama, who was probably <clears throat> they've been the most there's been the most hatred from Alabama fans towards me than any fan base, because it used to drive me nuts that they were a team that was kind of living off past success. And then once they got one championship, it was like, well, well, they're clearly this good. And yet they got second chances. They got second opportunities. And at the time, it really bothered me that they weren't a balanced team. They weren't, they were incredibly dominant on the defensive side of the ball. But on the offensive side of the ball, it was very bland, very vanilla. The quarterback play wasn't great. And it was frustrating. LSU, same thing. Like LSU that year, we were talking about them as the best team of all time. And they had Jordan Jefferson playing quarterback. So it bothered me 
that there was this narrative, well, the SEC has all this NFL talent and they have, you know, they're so much better than everybody else. And then we'd mock the other, like the Big 12 was a conference that drove me nuts because the Big 12 was getting ripped and they still are having trouble getting out of this narrative. Well, you guys don't play any defense or league is soft and no one, you know, no one plays any defense. And I would always bring up, why doesn't everybody bring up that the SEC doesn't play offense? Like their offenses are, are not very good. And, you know, I'd list off some of the rankings. So it kind of started from there. And it was something I absolutely believed in. Like I, I thought, I thought there was a very real bias that favored the SEC, mm-hmm. but even saying that I would, I would always point out when I talked to people in person or I did interviews where I was on television, that it didn't mean because I was criticizing the SEC didn't mean that I still wouldn't acknowledge they were probably the best conference in college football. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think it was so much better than everybody thought it was. Right. And so, you know, and when you criticize the SEC or you criticize Alabama for saying, you know what, you guys aren't that much better than everybody else. It's like, oh my goodness, who is, where's this guy coming from? Like he's crazy. He's out of his mind. And, you know, I never really felt like it was that crazy of a thought. I was more surprised at the kickback. And then (laughs) probably the one thing that's probably been the biggest misperception. And I hear this all the time. And it's probably at some point I have to do some self-reflection because I definitely have two personalities. I have one where I'm talking to you guys and I have one or I'm on TV or I'm talking on air anywhere. And there's a persona that I have on Twitter, which is definitely, mm. it's probably hurt my career to be honest with you. Like I don't think ESPN appreciated my snarky smart ass tweets online, <laughs> you know, on, on Twitter. And it definitely didn't hurt me. And I'll be way more obnoxious, kind of like people are like, but the thing is, I'm not anonymous. Like people still know me as a football analyst. So I probably should be more responsible. But I, and if it's same thing, like if you guys, if we were on the golf course, I would be talking trash the whole time. Like it goes back to being a player where in a locker room, you're just constantly needling guys and you're making fun of clothes and you're making fun of their haircuts and you're making fun of this. So I'll make fun of fan bases the same way. And I'll talk, if somebody criticizes me, criticize me, I'll go right back at them where if we're out the golf course and I'm talking trash, like you can see the tone and you can tell I'm just having fun with you and I'm just messing with you and just trying to get in your head a little bit. But then afterwards we all go have a beer and everything's good. Mm-hmm. I'm quickly like, and I've realized this over time, college football fans don't always take to that form of trash talk. There's no <laughs> nuance there. So it just ends up to I hate Danny Cannell. Let me send a letter to the company that says he needs to be fired. And that right. most of the time, knock on wood, most of the time, there the feedback that I get from people that listen is I thought I was going to hate you. And I ended up, dang it, like, you're not that bad. You know, yeah. like that's usually the, and it happened on the Cover 3 podcast. There was a mini revolt when I, because we have a lot of SEC fans a mini revolt of fan like that were writing CBS and writing my bosses saying, this is the worst thing you could have ever done. And they were leaving one star reviews and crushing me. And to the point where I was getting a little bit nervous and I had to like call my boss. I was like, Hey, is this going to be a problem? He's like, no, no, no. It's like, don't worry about it. It's like, you're fine. He's like, give it six months. And if it's still an issue, we'll go there. Well, sure enough, in a few months, like some of the people started coming around and now we even have people that go back and leave five star reviews. And they're like, Oh, I couldn't have been more wrong, like great insight, you know, we get it. So like it takes, there's definitely like it takes some getting accustomed to, um, you know, and kind of erasing the Twitter persona. So maybe I should just delete my account. <laughs> well, I, it, it's interesting you say that because I, I've always thought the same thing and that like you can say 
You can say something on a show, and that same thing you can type out in 140 characters on Twitter. The Twitter one is the one that's going to get you in trouble because mm-hmm. there's something about the written word that can be more powerful than the spoken word. When you when you say it on a three-hour show or on a whatever, it, it gets – you know, it's diffused by everything else you say. It's put into context. There's nuance. If you just say it on Twitter, uh, it just looks like, oh, my goodness, this guy has an agenda. This guy has hatred. And again, I've said on this podcast, JC can tell you, I, I, I said, look, I know Danny Cannell. He, he, he is a good guy, and he's not anti-SEC. He's not, he doesn't hate Alabama. But that is, unfortunately, some, that gets into people's head. And then people run with it. And then it's really hard to wash that off sometimes. Right. Um, and, and there's just, there's more to your career. Like there's some guys that I'm convinced that's all they have in their, in their bag. So they got to go to it. Right. Uh, that's not you. I mean, you can break down uh, the game of football. You, you play the quarterback position, both in college and then the pros with the giants and other places. So I, 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 I felt bad for you from that perspective uh, you and I would go at it every now and then just in a, in a friendly way. Um, I, I think it's good to have an opposing voice. Like anybody can just go on the air and, and, and give love to the SEC and throw bouquets at it. It's easy to do. I mean, mm-hmm. it has been the Premier League in college football for a while. That doesn't mean it's invincible. JC and I have talked about um, a couple of years ago. It was, not a, it was not a great year for SEC football. Not every year that is just a banner year for the Southeastern Conference. So I'm, I'm – <laughs> I'm glad you put that in perspective. And it's also, I would say too, that this is all my fault. Like, like it's my own doing for getting snarky, for getting cute on Twitter. So that now because of this perception, if I'm on there and this year I was very bullish on the Gators most of the season. And I was, I don't want to say anti-Georgia, but I did not think Georgia was going to be that good. I needed to see the offense open up. Um, so like Florida fans love me like, Hey, this Canel guy's not that bad. But then I think the Georgia fans are like, Oh, this is the guy that hates the sec. He's just bashing us. Cause he hates the sec. <laughs> but it wasn't, I was just critical of Georgia cause I needed to see what they were. So like, I, unfortunately that's where it goes. The other thing that I really have been kind of honestly just bummed about is my Twitter. I like, I don't interact with people as much on Twitter because it's just gotten to a place where it used to be, I could almost win people over on Twitter without talking to them. We'd go back and forth. Well, you know, I'd say Bama's offense isn't that good. And some Bama fan would say, well, you know, you're, you suck and you don't know what you're talking about. We have this NFL talent. And then I would sit, go back and give them like statistically say, all right, well then why is their offense, you know, and ranked 97th in the country or what, you know, like I'd go back and forth and we'd go with into a, a legitimate kind of argument that was just more of a debate. And now I do feel like, and this has definitely taken place over the last two or three years, like things are more political and there's more serious topics. Like I was very pro, we should play college football this year with COVID. Right. And unfortunately that debate became like, it didn't become let's give science behind it or why you think it can happen. It was like, you're a right-wing lunatic who doesn't right. want to wear masks. Well, oh that's yeah, not we've talked about that. All. Yeah. You know, I want to be as safe as everybody. But it just, there was no genuine interaction. It was just like, you disagree with me, so I'm going to insult you and I'm going to hate you. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what science you bring to the table or what statistics you bring to the table. It just got ugly. And it's, it's, 
the accusations of different biases that people assume, like paying college athletes, the name, image, and likeness, like those types of more serious debates, it becomes to you're anti-player or you're racist or you're like, and I, I hate yeah. that. Like, I don't, I love having dialogue with fans who listen sure. to my shows or see me on TV, but it's becoming increasingly harder, which is really a bummer because I, I, I enjoyed that interaction for a long time. And there still are some pleasant ones, but for the most part, it just, it becomes really like sad. It's just, it just devolves really quickly. And then I just, I exit out. I don't, I don't listen to anybody. I'll, I never was a blocker. Like I never would block people on Twitter. And now I'm like to the point where, you know what, if you want to insult me, I'll just block you. Then I don't have to deal with it ever again. It, it is the downfall of our business. Um, and you're right. It became uber political. And like I, I've said on this show a number of times, we, I learned a lot about college football writers, some of which I really respect and have uh, enjoyed reading over the years, but some of them went into that. Uh, and I've made this point a, a, a million times. Some of the writers, yeah, they like co- covering college football. Yeah, they can write a good feature every now and then. But really, their number one thing is they see college football and, and college basketball. They don't care about baseball kids who are busting their butt for partial scholarships. But they look at college football players as victims. <clears throat> they see it as they're they're getting the raw end of the deal. They're exploited and manipulated on a multi-billion-dollar system, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, to ask them to play in the middle of a pandemic, what they didn't realize, what they miscalculated, and what Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields came right out and said is that, no, dude, we want to play. Th- thanks for trying to quote unquote look out for me as a victim, but I, I want to play. It's beneficial for me to play football this year. And it was, and it worked, and you never got the mea culpa apology from those writers. But uh, needles to say, as we just finished the Super Bowl not long ago, uh, thank goodness we had football, and thank goodness enough people with problem-solving skills made it go. It wasn't flawless. Never, nobody thought it would be. And your father's a doctor, am I right? I mean, (laughs) I'm sure you got some qualified feedback from him. I know we're on limited time. I want to get two thoughts from you because you, you segued into one and that's NIL. And you've been very vocal about the fact you don't think that college football players are, are these, that they're getting the short end of the stick and they don't get anything. An education means nothing. Having everything paid for them means nothing. They, they deserve more, more, more NIL. And then I, I, I got at some point <laughs> talk about what Florida state has become you being the alum that you are. And how do you explain that? So the, the floor is yours. So I've actually evolved on my kind of beliefs in college football, which I think is a good thing. Like I think you get more information, you become, you gain more wisdom, you talk to more people, you evolve. I used to, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said, hey, if you're leaving college early, like, are you sure you want to do that? You know, you, you don't want your, your degree. Um, now I'm to the point where, hey, it's a business decision. The money is too big. You have to leave sometimes. And, and sometimes I think it's to the detriment of the player, but I get it. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever change my view on paying the players when it comes to making them employees, where they are salaried employees, where it's basically minor league NFL, um, where they are, you know, you're paying your offensive linemen, you know, X amount of dollars and you're paying your backup wide receivers X amount of dollars and they're employed by the school. I think that would be an absolute disaster an economic disaster. I think it would, you know, destroy a lot of athletic programs. I think it would destroy the non-revenue producing sports. So that I don't think will ever change. And plus I played minor league baseball. 
It is a tough financial model. It is not a great existence. Uh, you know, being a full scholarship basketball or football player is a charmed life. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's a victim. Do the coaches make way more than you? Yes. Can we do a better job? Yes. But don't ever let anybody tell you like the whole Shabazz Napier, we're starving line, which actually <laughs> did change the policy where now right. players can eat unlimited amounts of food was absurd. You literally, because I, I was there when this was before this rule, yeah. you would have to skip meals to start. They would try to feed you. All right. your meals were paid for. They did have some really stupid limitations on how much they could give you or when there was a snack and when there wasn't. Now that's all gone. So it, that was a good thing that came of it. Um, it's hard. It's like a job, but I try to remind people it's still a sport. Like it's still like, it, and then we go down the slippery slope like high school football is a pretty big deal. Now you have a lot of time restraints. The coaches make a lot more money. We're having coaches paid six figures in, in high school football. You play on national TV. Like, are we going to start saying, Hey, they should be compensated too? Maybe, maybe some people are that belief, but where I've come full circles, I actually am. Okay. I think the name image and likeness is a, a good compromise for the players who could make a lot of money and don't get it like a Trevor Lawrence, a Baker Mayfield. And a lot of times it is the quarterbacks, but Leonard Fournette. Um, there have been some examples of some big name running backs, big name receivers who, you know, could make money their last year there. So yeah, if they can make some money, that's great. Let them do it. I don't think it's going to change anything. And it doesn't take away from the athletic department budget. If somebody's, if a car dealer is willing to pay Trevor Lawrence to go sign autographs, 10 grand, 25 grand, then so be it. If he's, yeah. and this is where I think it makes the bigger difference because I don't think the money's going to be as big as people think. I think people are like, and there, I've seen some players like, hey, I'm about to get paid. I don't, I think you'll see, uh, you know, a, a left tackle might be able to make three or $400 to go sign autographs at the dealership. That's a great thing though. And three, sure. and all of us can probably relate to this three or $400 in college was like hitting the lottery. Heck yeah. <laughs> like that's great. And, you know, maybe it's a few thousand bucks a semester, which by the way, they already do get stipends, which is actually a cash payment. You can do whatever you want. Right. It's about a thousand bucks a month that no one ever talks about. No one raises that. I've brought that up. Yep. You know, Not to so, mention Pell Grant money. Yeah. So you get, you can get cash You can get these things. So, but I think the name engine likeness is a good compromise and I think it's smart. And I think it's like the NCA, I don't know why they would fight it because the NCA does a lot of stupid things. Right. This is such a gift to them if they embrace this then, you know, then the players that could make money that feel exploited can actually get some money and then maybe they'll feel less exploited. So yeah. that's a good thing. So we're evolving to a place where we're getting there. I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And that's a good thing. Like I'm, 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 I'm all for increasing the stipends, increasing that cost of attendance so that we can get more. I just don't want players to be employees because then, you know, what happens? You get cut you get fired, you know, mm. then what happens? Yeah. You know, and and like, you get union unions, get unions get involved too. And then right. just with the geographic distribution state by state uh, and where kind of the power center is in college football, uh, that's not big time union territory. You know, right. when you think about uh, the, the geographic strength of the sport and, and that, that would be my concern as well. Uh, don't have a problem with people unionizing, uh, but when you get to that point that, you know, you're going to have strike. I mean, it's going to be just like the NFL. And I don't think that's in the spirit of the college model. 
And don't forget, when you're actually labeling them employees, you got to do what every other college kid that has a job does. You actually have to pay taxes. Like you actually have to file and pay tax. What they get now is completely tax free, and it should be. Uh, and I'm with you. I, I think you and I actually agree wholeheartedly on that. I, I think the fear for the NCAA is just how to implement NIL. That's a whole other. I wouldn't want to be the person that has to write that doctrine and make it uniform for 120. 130 division one schools. But yeah, I, I think it, it's coming regardless. And I think it can be a good thing. Just needs to, needs to be done the right way. Wrapping up with Danny Cannell, who's got to be, who's breaking down Trevor Lawrence's pro day today. So he's sneaking a peek as we talk, making sure uh, Trevor's drop back is looking good. Um, <laughs> Florida state. I, I, did you ever think, cause you were there during the glory years where, I mean, Florida state was a top five program almost every year. Um, and they were still that after you left. And then all of a sudden Jimbo, you know, it starts falling south under Jimbo after winning a title with Jameis Winston. And then you hire uh, Willie Taggart, which uh, to this day I, I will never understand. And, and now they're just trying to get out of the doldrums. How did it get this bad? How does Florida State get back to prominence? So I'm sure you're aware of this, Mike. Do you remember the 2013 and 2014 Florida Gator seasons? Sure. I'm looking back four and eight, seven and five. It was a dumpster fire. Absolutely. I would look back and say, do you remember the Miami Hurricanes? Not even that long ago where they finished the season losing to Duke, Louisiana Tech, and I believe there's one other Sunbelt team in there. FIU. A dumpster fire, FIU yes. As well. Um, I think this is, and now trust me, this bothers me as a Florida State guy. I don't like it. I'm not happy with it. I do feel like this is the cyclical nature of college football. We had an incredible run that we should be thankful for. I think it also makes your fan base a little bit skewed as far as the expectations. And you kind of forget the struggle that's very real in college football to keep and maintain that excellence. And what makes it really hard is when you look in your own conference and you're like, well, man, Clemson's able to do it. Or you're in the SEC and you're like, Bama's able to do it. How are they able to do it? Well, it kind of, it, it's the cyclical nature. Bama had some years where they weren't great before Nick Saban got there. Um, you go to any program around the country, Texas, Ohio State, like the Blue Blood, USC. Like who would have ever pictured USC struggling the way they have to kind of get back to relevance? So I, that's what I try to tell Florida State fans is let's breathe deep. This isn't fun. We don't want to be here. This isn't the goal, but we've got to support the team to get back to where we want to be. To your point about Willie Taggart, it was funny because I was looking back at some of the grades that everyone, and I I was one who applauded the Willie Taggart hire. I was not, you know, I thought, hey, it made sense. And if you recall, Oregon was mad. They were like, you stole our guy. He was right. going to build our program. And they were mad about it. So it felt like Florida State got this coach that was in strong demand and they had to pull him away from a really good job. And clearly it was a miss, right? Clearly it was a miss and it didn't work out. And then now we have Mike Norvell, who and this last hiring cycle, I think, was a dose of reality to college football or not to college football, to Florida State fans who were thinking Bob Stoops. They were thinking these big name hires would just swoop, you know, come in and take the Florida State job. It's hard when you're a little bit of a dumpster fire, like and you just fired a coach less than two years in. Like it's a little bit of a mess. So you need somebody to stabilize that. Mike Norvell inherits a situation where it's covid year doesn't have the normal recruiting cycle, doesn't have a spring practice, is dealt, you know, some tough issues within his own locker room when, you know, he doesn't have a trust built up with his team because of all these issues. 
And then he gets called out from one of his players. And it's like, uh-oh, are we in the midst of another dumpster fire? Like, is this, is this hmm. going to be a bigger issue? And I applaud Mike Novell for the way he handled that. And I think in the long term, it could build up some trust on his team. But I do think this is a massive year for Mike Norvell. I do think quarterback has to be in it. A lot of these cycles that you look at, go look at the quarterbacks who played. And I don't want to blame the 18 or 19 year old quarterback that was there. But if you miss on a four or five star quarterback or multiple ones, you're going to be in trouble. Like it's going to be an issue. You have to figure out your quarterback position. It's just, it's automatic. And if you miss, it will cost you your job. Look at Mac Brown at Texas. Had so much success, national championships. You know, after Colt McCoy gets hurt, was Garrett Gilbert. You know, he gets another couple, four or five stars, and they're just not as good as we thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Mac Brown's no longer the coach at Texas. You know, it's just, it, it happens. So I think, you know, Mackenzie Milton coming in is exciting. He could be that guy. I'm still concerned about his, his knee. It was a very, very serious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of see where it goes. But I, I like Mike Norvell from a standpoint of I like his message. I like his discipline. I think he will be able to recruit the more he's able to get in person with people instead of Zoom and not having to recruit the right way. But I'm trying to tell Florida State fans, like, don't expect to be 10-2 and two this season. Don't expect to beat Clemson anytime soon. You've got to build a base. Like, you got to get some positive momentum, see little signs of improvement, and then build off of those. And it's been a rough go of it. So you, you're looking for anything for positive momentum. But I do think it'll come. So it's just – it's a rough time. But I think – you know, Florida fans can relate. And trust me, they love reveling in it because it wasn't that long ago they were in it. So sure. that's the hard part, too, is you're going to get a lot of trash thrown your way from your friends who live in the state. Right. But we've all been there. And it's all and hopefully we'll all get back. And we've seen Miami get better. We've seen Florida get better. And I hope and I think we'll see Florida State get better, too. I'll say this, Danny, you know, looking at the guys in the portal that Florida State got, um, and I'm familiar with a couple of them because they came from South Carolina. Uh, there are a lot of good players. Uh, you know, if Milton can come back and sort of approach where he was, and, and like like you said, the knee's the concern, they got this kid, DJ Williams from Auburn, uh, who's from Sebring, Florida, originally kind of a late bloomer. He was committed to App State for a while. Auburn got on him late. Uh, a special talent just was behind a guy like Tank Bigsby uh, sort of in the pecking order at AU. Uh, I think those two guys alone uh, make the offense a little more, a little better, you know, because you're going to be able to run the ball. And if McKenzie can move around a little bit, I, I think Florida state could get to seven, eight wins uh, next year, just based on, you know, what I think is an underrated recruiting effort in the portal. Yeah. And if you look at what Greg Shiano did at Rutgers and I know it's Rutgers, he cleaned house and went all through the portal. Like yeah. at some point you do have to build, if you want to get back quickly, you've got to get guys with experience to kind of know the collegiate, what it's like to be a, a college football player where there's a lot of demands in your time. It's physical. Like you get somebody who's already been there. Like that's a step ahead of the game. The other thing, I go back to the example of Miami. They were seven and six, weren't very good. And then they get to Eric King and look at the difference it made. Like I, I called a buddy of mine as a hurricane fan. He's like, what do you think of this guy? I'm like, you guys are going to be way better. And I, that's the unfair like expectation that's on Mackenzie Milton. And maybe it's Chuba party. Uh, you know, maybe it's somebody else, but they have to find, and I do like if Mackenzie Milton's healthy, he was a heck of a quarterback. I just don't know where he is health wise. If he is, he could be that guy. And there'll be a lot of expectations on him because he was that guy. 
but I would be signing as many quarterbacks as I could in the portal signing. I've been trying to accumulate them. And if they leave because they don't win a job, then so be it. That's just kind of the, the landscape we're in right now. Yeah, I, I'm convinced Florida State is going to be back. I, I make the analogy there. Florida State and Florida, Miami and Southern Cal, and these are volcano programs. They're always going to erupt. It's just a matter of how long. Uh, but there's t- too many inherent advantages for a program like FSU. They're not going to be down forever. Uh, it, it, get, get, a, get the right quarterback. Florida, Miami went through it where they just – cycled through mediocre quarterback after mediocre quarterback and it hurts it's just it's still the most important position on the field maybe more so in the college game than the pro game Danny always appreciate uh, chatting with you. you you mentioned Rutgers I think the last football game we did was in Piscataway <laughs> that's right Munchie Lego in Cincinnati uh, and, and I remember thinking everybody told me like oh Shiano he's a hard-ass man you're when you meet with him he's gonna He's going to grow you. He, he walks in and gives us two brand new golf shirts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he couldn't have been nicer. Uh, that, and the, it was so cool doing a game where Jim Gandolfini of the Sopranos was actually at the stadium in the game. I, that, that's the closest I ever got to meeting uh, the Don. Yeah. Uh, Tony Soprano, may, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, Danny, we, we went over with you. Really appreciate it. Uh, keep up the great work on all your platforms. Uh, as I told people, you are likable. You just, not everybody knows that. Uh, and next time I see you in, uh, in Delray, I'll buy you a beer at Luna Rosa. Awesome. I look forward to it. Great. Right, JC, Mike, great catching up with you guys. Keep crushing it. You got it. it. Thank you, Danny. Take care. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check them out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. Thanks again to uh, Danny Cannell. Uh, again, the, the perception and reality of people in our business sometimes, JC. I, I can tell you this. Some of the people that you think are the most likable, down-to-earth He's a folksy guy when he's got when the microphone's on. Those are some of the biggest jerks in our business. <laughs> and some of the people who you think who you just love to hate because of their hot takes or whatever are actually good guys. And having worked with Danny for a couple of years at ESPN, I can tell you, he, he's actually a really good guy. And it sounds like he's kind of uh, blunted that edge a little bit and, uh, you know, is still very astute at uh, breaking down college football, but maybe not needling people as much as he used to. 
Yeah, and then look, I'm I'm one that like when when he used to trash the SEC, I was just like, oh man, come on, what else could you say? And mm-hmm. and then you know, like I started actually listening to him on broadcast, and you know, that's the first time I've ever talked to him like in person. And of course, you know, being kind of a member of the CBS family uh, and the podcast he did with Barton Simmons, who you know I've. Barton Simmons, when he started his career, it was with me at Rivals.com. I worked with him for years and years and know him well. And, of course, now Barton's uh, on staff at Vanderbilt under Clark Lee. Uh, but, uh, you know, so knowing him and, and, and actually last summer sitting down and listening to the podcast uh, that he was on, um, you know, I, I think he's a smart, level-headed guy. And, and, and honestly, you're right. Some of these guys that you think are really, really nice on TV – uh, you know, they come across as jerks when you meet them in person. Uh, and then uh, on the on the flip side, you got guys like Danny Cannell and even Tom Luganville. I mean, I'm lucky uh, to know Tom because uh, I worked with him at ESPN.com as well. And right. there's not a nicer, greater guy out there than Luganville. Yeah. But, but, you know, people in, in my, on my side of the business in recruiting, when, when ESPN entered the recruiting space and Luganville was just like, well, we all used to coach and play. So, you know, obviously we're going to bring that perspective and it, and it insulted guys that, you know, maybe had done another job before they started evaluating football talent. Um, you know, that everybody thought he came across as a prick. Uh, uh, and then I met the guy and he's, you know, he's one of the nicest guys in the world. So that's, uh, that's kind of how this business goes. I mean, I, I think, I think quite frankly, some people think uh, maybe I'm a prick. Uh, you know, and then they meet me and then I'm a, I'm a pretty nice guy. Uh, Mike, I think you have every reason in the world uh, to be a, a jerk and, and all that. I was talking to my girlfriend about this the other day. I was like, you know, that Mike Morgan, you know, you know, he's old TV. He's, he's got it made, you know, best dog in the world, best you know, dog great, in the world. great significant other, you know, is, is traveling <laughs> deals with sports. You know, I've seen where you live. And I'm like, every reason in the world to be an absolute prick. And he's one of my best friends, one of the greatest guys ever. And so I think think there's a lot to be said for for perception versus reality uh, in the totality of the sports uh, media business. No, I appreciate that. I I always made a promise, like if the more success I was able to get in this business, the nicer person I would be. And I've tried to live by that. Honestly, had it not worked out, and I don't know, if I was selling aluminum siding right now, maybe I would be a brick because I'd be just really angry and bitter. <laughs> but thankfully, you know, and you never know how long this ride is going to go. Um, you know, people, our business is kind of out there in the public. People know how many layoffs an ESPN, a Fox, a 24-7 has had um over the years and especially you know with the pandemic it, it's been a tough time for for everybody in all walks of life and and our business is certainly not immune to it um so i i always say getting fired in this business and danny cannell i mean he never saw it coming he was there was a time where danny cannell it was like there was five of them at espn because not only was he doing games for us, uh, college football and, and baseball, but he was on every studio show. He had the radio show with Rusillo. Um, but, you know, he was a, a casualty about five years ago. And it, it just it happens. And I, I would say when people get fired in our business, very often it's like a mob hit. Like there's no tough talk. 
There's no, you're just walking one day and all of a sudden somebody, boom, back of the head. That's all she wrote. Pesci uh, <laughs> does it. And you never see it coming. And that's yeah. all. Next thing you know, you're in the trunk of a car. Like, yeah, like <laughs> in the Irishman, he's like, he's, he's got to go down. He's got to yeah, go down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I know you wanted to hit on some of the things that um, Danny was referring to in Florida State. Tennessee has been the natural case study, and we'll get to them in a second, about how things can go terribly wrong over a period of time. I mean, to me, Florida State is actually even more surprising because Tennessee, to me, is still a difficult job. It's a good job. It's that it's that cat, that rare category. Good job, but difficult job. Auburn, same way. Good job. Great fans, resources, facilities, tradition. But, you know, try playing second fiddle to Alabama every year and, and your fans don't necessarily accept that. Mm-hmm. Well, Florida State, gosh, you're in the ACC. You have all this recruiting territory. There's still cachet. I, I mean, people still think Florida State is quote unquote cool, right? But for whatever reason, they have gone through a, a period of time here, which is almost inexplicable. It's, it's, it's hard to, to fathom that they've fallen this far for this amount of time. I agree. And, and you know, it's been well documented, ESPN.com. Uh, wrote articles about it and stuff. I, I, and look, I, I think Florida State, had they, quite frankly, looking back on it, invested in their program like a lot of SEC schools and Clemson and, and you know, certain Big 12 schools do and, and all that, that, uh, you know, maybe things would be different. But it, it kind of seemed like from reading the articles and, and it seemed like their setup prevented them from really doing it. And they had gotten by on brand. Uh, for so many years now now their facilities let's not let's not sit here and 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 pretend like florida state's facilities have always been awful i I went there in 2005 2006 for a nike camp uh they had a two-story weight room uh, you know a nice brick facade outside of doe campbell i mean it's not like their presentation was lacking Mm -hmm. um but but you know i i think certain programs that have gotten ahead in recent years have made that commitment. And, and the Florida schools really, really Mike, to be honest, because you hear the same thing about Miami and their facilities. And you, you heard the same thing, frankly, about Florida no and their question. facilities with all the sec money. I think for years they got by with, Hey, you know, we're going to divvy up the top third of the prospects in this very talent rich state where there's speed to, to fall over and we're going to put it together regardless of what we do. Guys are just going to come here. And with FSU in particular, it's probably a bigger national brand than the Gators, you know, no matter how good the Gators are. That may be more debatable now uh, because we kind of went through the Tebow years and, and, and Billy Donovan's success in basketball helps your overall brand. But FSU, I mean, as a college football brand was tremendous. They go anywhere in the country to try and get guys. So mm-hmm. I think uh, and Miami, Miami as well. So I think they got by with brand a lot and it caught up with them. And because Florida kids now versus 15 years ago, they're leaving the state. Yeah. And that, that used to never happen. I think that combined with quite frankly, some of the coaching staffs in that state, uh, Al Golden's Miami staff comes to mind, Um, you know, maybe a little bit at Florida uh, on certain sides of the ball. And then of course, you know, with, with Taggart and, and, you know, that era with with FSU, I think they they misevaluated a lot of guys too in recruiting 
which has led to the rise of UCF. You know, you look at the UCF roster, it's full of a bunch of Florida kids who could play at Florida State or could help Florida, or who could help Miami, and uh, and they didn't get them. So, so, so there's a there's a lot of dynamics going on there. Uh, and, I, and I'll say this though, you know, with all that said, you're in the ACC, you're in the Atlantic Division with Clemson, which is which is not ideal. You'd probably rather be in the other one, but you really only have one team to catch still. I mean, who else in that division, Mike? Is it going to be? Is NC State going to make a big move? I don't think so. Wake Forest, I don't think so. Louisville's under Scott Satterfield is going to be pretty tricky in the in the future. But you kind of look at it, and uh, Florida State's still right there to, to to take you know to to challenge in that division. And like I mentioned to Danny, I thought that they did a great job with the portal this time around. And if Mackenzie Milton, who's one of those UCF kids I mentioned. Um, can can come in and, and give them 80 to 80 percent to 85 percent of the player that he was. Uh, I think that solves the quarterback problems, and I think they got skill talent elsewhere and, a, and an exciting scheme to to have a rebound year. I've told the story before. Uh, a former friend of mine in high school was one of those kind of prominent FSU boosters, and he would tell me the stories when Jimbo was there that it, it was relentless like they'd be at some function and somebody would say what a beautiful day the, the, the it's sunny outside and a uh, great day to play some golf and uh, I hear the I, I hear that um, you know we've got some great things coming down the pike and uh, my wife just had a baby girl what do you think Jimbo we got to improve facilities we're, we're just not getting it done here and it was a non-stop waves against the rocks turning to sand and, and people starting to get soured toward it. And, and that was coming to a head on a number of fronts. And again, when you're winning, you're competing for national championships, you can complain about anything you want. We know that. But when all of a sudden you the productivity falls off and you keep ringing that bell, then it, it becomes a, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say toxic, but you know, it, it's, it's just, it's an issue. It's an issue, and it, it became an issue. And I, I'm with you. I mean, Florida State. Um, it's not like they're, you know, it's not like they got uh, Mac-like facilities. With all due respect to the Mac, they they've been all right. But there was there was room for improvement. Nowadays, you know, when you when you talk about facilities, kids don't look at it the way fans do. Fans immediately focus on the stadium. And they focus on Doak Campbell and they focus on the swamp and they say, well, hell, these are great facilities. Who could possibly complain? Well, the kids are only there a dozen times a year, right? I mean, you play your home games there, you play a spring game there. Uh, but for the most of the time, you're on the practice facilities and you're in this center and that center and this swanky building. And, you know, I mean, that's what one of the things Clemson did. All the stuff they built, you didn't you didn't see it at Death Valley, but it, but the players saw how cool it was and how that that's where they spend most of their time. So um, I, I think to your point, all of those programs needed to quit relying on their laurels and get up with the Joneses as good as an AD as Jeremy Foley was uh, the knock on him. And part of his legacy will always be how in the world did you not improve the, the football facilities, the basketball arena and the baseball stadium. I mean, you're winning national titles and you're playing for college world series and you still have lackluster, relatively speaking facilities. So 
yeah, they all had to catch up with uh, the Joneses. Miami's a, a unique, they're different than Florida and Florida state on a number of levels. And, and, and they've had the rep of, of being thrifty for a while. I think that's been changing over time. And certainly the coffers are bigger with, with the TV deals with the ACC now. Uh, so there's more money to, to spend on that kind of stuff. By the way, as a college baseball guy, have you seen Florida's new stadium? I have. I, you know, I was there for, I did a football game there in November. Um, Cause that they did let us do some games actually on site instead of the home studio. And the first thing I, one of the first things I did was drive to the new stadium. It's nice. It's very nice. Uh, long overdue. No, no knock on McKeithen stadium, but that was no longer sec caliber. And it certainly wasn't the caliber of a program. that's playing for a national championship every other year. Um, the trend now in baseball stadiums is much like it is on the professional side. You want to have it so that you can walk all the way around the stadium in the outfield, all the way to home plate. It's like one big clock. You could just, just take a nice stroll around there and then stop and pick up some peanuts and then stop and take a different view from the alley and right center and then go down and go back to your seat on the first base side. Um, you know, they're not going to get the fans there that a uh, Mississippi State, LSU, quite frankly, South Carolina, when they're playing well, you're, you know, you're not going to get seven, 8,000 fans a game in Gainesville for a regular season baseball game. That's just never been it in, in, at Florida. So you don't need a stadium that big. It's just like Auburn and basketball. You don't build Auburn a 15,000 seat basketball arena because you're not going to get 15,000 people on a Wednesday night to dra- drive to the Plains because you don't have enough metro population to fill it. So you have to rely on people to drive out of their way to get there. So they, they and Ole Miss made a calculation and made arenas that were just under 10,000 seat capacity. That's smart. It's not smart for Kentucky. Kentucky needs 20,000 seats. Tennessee needs 15,000 and so on and so forth. So every, every situation is different. And obviously you could, you could translate that to football as well. I mean, Ole Miss doesn't need a hundred thousand seat stadium for Ole Miss football as popular as it is. Uh, that's, that's not what they need. And there's nothing that looks worse on TV than empty seats in a stadium when you're watching. Now, this is, <laughs> I say all of that, of course, with a major caveat that during COVID, that's the norm. But when we get out of this thing, God willing, um, we'll have full stadiums again. And you, you certainly don't want, I mean, that's what Tennessee now to, to turn it, our attention to Knoxville. Um, again, the, the gift that keeps on giving all year, like the jelly of the month club for Clark Griswold, they have a hundred thousand seat stadium and it's been hard to get a hundred thousand people. I'm talking pre pandemic to watch Tennessee football over the years. And it might be hard for the first couple of years under the new coaching regime, because let's face it, they're probably going to take their, their lumps here early on. Josh Heupel could do the best coaching job in the world. And, and they're still, they're going to have some struggles. Mm. I, uh, I look at that situation and it's tough. I, you know, uh, Josh Heupel, and I'm, I'm on the record as saying I've never been a Josh Heupel guy. I, I, I thought there was a reason Oklahoma and Bob Stoops went with the upgrade. Um, I had lots of respect for him as a quarterback when he played and led Oklahoma to a national championship in 2000, uh, but thought there was a reason they made the move from Heupel to Riley. Um, and, and, you know, if you notice Lincoln Riley, when he got there, they, they get all of a sudden started, you know, as the offensive coordinator, 
you know, they started making the playoff and winning the Big 12 again. Um, he went to Missouri where they love to make a big deal at Missouri out of having the number one statistical offense in the SEC. But if you go game by game, it would be like, well, they scored 77 against Missouri State, but then they turned around against South Carolina the next week and scored 13. You know, they scored uh, at the end of, I think, the 2017 season when Tennessee and Florida had quit. They scored 45 and 50 against those teams with interim coaches. Uh, and and there are, I, maybe, maybe, yeah, interim coaches in both instances. And it's like, well, you know, who did you really go up and down the field against? And I can't remember the Missouri Heupel teams really going up and down the field against a good defense, maybe Kentucky once or twice. Um, I just can't remember that. And, and Derek Dooley came in and arguably improved that offense with Drew Locke. And, and so then he goes to UCF and, and, and it's been like steps, you know, they've, they've gone from 12 and one to 10 and three to six and four. And it, it, it you know, so I've never been a guy. Now look, Danny White is batting like a thousand with coaching hires. Look at, look at the coaches he hired at Buffalo uh, across all sports. Uh, the UCF coaches he hired, and I mean, in basketball, they were in the tournament a couple of years ago. That's not a basketball known school, although Michael Jordan's son did play there. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a situation where who am I to question it? But at the same time, I've never been a hypo guy, and, and I think that you know what we're going to see is you know because if you're gonna if you're gonna go down and, and Tennessee with all the players leaving and, and, and look, this recruiting class they signed, Mike was 18th in the country and God bless them because they all signed, but they all signed early and there's going to be a hunk of those guys that are, I've already heard they're mad because they feel bamboozled in the signing. They're mm. going to hit the portal soon. You know, there's going to be a talent issue all of a sudden there. Um, you know, so I, I think that the idea was, well, okay, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to have bad years, let's at least try to run it wide open. And, and Josh Heupel at least, you know, has a track record of doing that. And, you know, he's, he is 28 and eight. So, uh, but you, you kind of look at how he's put the staff together. Um, and they've had trouble. Al Washington, the Ohio state linebackers coach turns down the defensive coordinator's job to remain at Ohio state as the linebackers coach. Like that's 1.5 million a year. He turned down. Um, so, so they're having, and, and look, sometimes when some coaches turn you down, you end up getting a better guy anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see who the defensive coordinator is. I know they got Rodney Garner in to coach defensive line, the veteran second stint at Tennessee. But, um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see if, if Rodney Garner makes a difference there. But uh, I uh, – you know, that's that situation. It, it's gotten worse and worse. And if you're Florida State or, or Southern Cal, and I, I don't want to, you know, USC, Southern Cal, I, maybe they're not in this category just yet. But if you're Florida State uh, and you're kind of looking at this, you know, what you want to avoid, in my opinion, is a Tennessee type of situation where you're just constantly turning coaches over, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And, um, and it can hurt you in football. It can hurt you. Rick Barnes can go take the Tennessee basketball job and turn it around in two years. Okay. Cause that program had a lot of turnover too. And now here they are. Uh, but football, you know, having consistent churn uh, just can, can hurt you with just simply by the way football teams and programs 
develop and build uh, over a slower period of time than maybe some other sports. Going to be very interesting. Uh, like I, I wonder, um, well, let me ask you real quick. Uh, five years from now, who's going to be in the best shape? Florida State, Tennessee, Texas, Southern Cal. I'm going to go with Florida State. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to say Southern Cal, I don't trust that. Like, so if they ever get rid of Clay Helton and maybe, maybe one day we're sitting around going, Hey, remember when we used to think Southern Cal should uh, get rid of Clay Helton and, and, and he, he's run off like two national championships in a row. Uh, it's because sometimes when you stick with a guy, it turns all of a sudden and you're like, yeah, look at this. Um, but let's say they do part ways with Clay Helton and, and all that. And, you know, I don't trust them to make hires because they're very adverse to going outside of the Pete Carroll coaching tree. I mean, it's like, you know, back when it was a great job, you know, and, and Pete just left for the Seahawks. Yeah. Who'd they go get Lane Kiffin <laughs> fired from the Raiders. And then one year at Tennessee, you, you know, well, let's just go get Lane Kiffin. And then who's next? Oh, well, let's just go get Sark. Oh, well, who's next? Well, let's just promote Clay Helton. They didn't even want to promote Ed Orgeron. You know, it, it's got to be like a cookie cutter type of deal. And, and so I don't trust their administration. Texas, I think the problem's institutional. Uh, and as good as a play caller as Sark was, and as much as I think they'll put some points up under him, and he'll, you know, that, that you know, I, I just don't know that institutionally that's the answer there. I hope it is because I, I, I think – it's better the big 12 football and college football in general is better when Texas is competing, but you're also talking about a program with two big 12 titles in 26 years, two, yeah. two, uh, Tennessee. I, I, I would say, no, I've, I, I have so many questions about them and keep in mind, Tennessee's slide has been 13 years. These other schools have shown flashes. Florida States won a national championship during this time period where Tennessee has been down. Uh, and I just think that with the way the style of play that Mike Norvell puts in place, the way they're going to still be able to recruit because of the brand and, and probably some forthcoming investment and the fact that the ACC Atlantic has one team, it's a great team, but it's one team. Uh, I think you'll see Florida state back uh, and in better shape in five years than the others. I'll go with Texas just because I feel like it's impossible <laughs> to continually underachieve the way they have. And yes, I like the hire of Sarkeesian. Um, that was met with mixed reviews. Re- really, all these hires were, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. It goes back to my theory of all the fan bases that think they're going to get the grand slam home run hire, and then you realize reality uh, says you're not, and you, and you have to get the best guy that is actually going to take the job. I think Sarkeesian's a good fit. Uh, for what they need there. And I, I think that, as you mentioned, it's institutional. Um, that The people that are running that institution and are, are part of the problem, at some point you got to look in the mirror and realize this ain't working what we're doing. Uh, maybe I need to dial it back a little bit. So I'll – and again, much like Florida State, who is there other than Clemson? Um, well, in the Big 12, other than Oklahoma – like what else is going to stand in the way of Texas? If Texas has it going the way they should have it going, um, who else is going to stand in their way? Well, some people might say Matt Campbell, and Matt Campbell um, 
just signed a new deal with Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, Matt Campbell, who every now a lot of these ads aren't going to admit this, but every ad for all the jobs we mentioned kicked the tires oh, on yeah. Matt Campbell. I, I know at least I know of at least one that never really got out in public. So yeah. it's uh, I, it, it yeah, it, it, and as they should, man. I of think, course. I mean, you know, you, you take Iowa State to the Fiesta Bowl and and you you play for the Big Twelve title. Man, I mean, you know, that's the Iowa State outside of Kansas is probably the toughest job in the Big 12 because uh, you're kind of up in a Big 10 state. The Hawkeyes get a lot of, you know, publicity, uh, you know, because they're kind of the, the school in that state. And then there's Iowa State. Uh, and then they're kind of, you know, they're in the Big 12. So it's a little bit different, uh, you know, kind of situation. Um, and, and there's not a lot of players in Iowa. So you got to go recruit, you yeah. know, Florida and, and and California and Texas and places like that. And I, I tell you what, you want to talk about? We talk about more with less. Oh. That Iowa State team, you know, as far as just it, it, evaluating great, coaching great on game day, uh, that's the key to success. And and, and you, you got to say he's done it. So anybody that has an opening is like, you know, they want this guy. I, I right. think at the end of the day. It's either going to be one of the big, big 10 jobs, maybe Notre Dame, if Brian Kelly ever makes that leap to the NFL mm-hmm. or he's going to the NFL, Matt yeah. Campbell is. And, and I want to say this too, say what you want about Urban Meyer, because you, you look at assistant coaches for, from some of the greats and the, they call it, call it the coaching tree. The Urban Meyer coaching tree uh, is probably – the most successful in college football, if you really start to consider it. Um, and, and you consider also a lot of the ones that Nick Saban, the Nick Saban coaching tree, which is out there too. It's a large tree. A lot of those guys have failed. Um, and I remember Urban Meyer saying that Matt Campbell, when he was at Toledo was one of the best coaches he'd ever, he'd ever come across. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I've always thought that, you know, well, this is the guy Urban Meyer really likes. And, and lo and behold, Urban Meyer w- was absolutely correct about this. Matt Campbell, probably a top five coach in the game. No question. Nobody has gotten more a- out of a difficult situation in Iowa State. I can just tell you, being in, in Ames, a lovely uh, fan base that really is, they support their team, but it's just, it's a limited city, a, a-, a limited job in a lot of respects and certainly a limited recruiting pool as you mentioned and yet he's getting it done Uh, matt campbell is and i think his next stop is is the nfl um i'm sure there's a lot of clauses in that deal that say yeah it's going to be hard for another college to lure me away um but if i decide i'm ready for the nfl not a whole heck of a lot you're going to be able to do about it And, and again this is the difference and i think a lot of fans are finally coming around to this 20 years ago, there's no way Iowa State was going to hold on to a Matt Campbell when all these other premier jobs want Matt Campbell. He was gone because Iowa State was not going to be able to compete financially with the other schools. Today's day and age of TV money, uh, I realize the Big 12 is a little bit unique because it's not just 10 equal slices of the pie like it is in the SEC, ACC. But still, everybody's doing pretty doggone well. All these Power Five schools have money coming in. Now, how you allocate it is a whole other story, and that's why they <clears throat> hire ADs and everything else. But if they really want to keep you, they might not be able to bid as much as some of these other schools, but they're going to be in the ballpark. 
And if you're in the ballpark and if you're Matt Campbell and you're happy where you are, is it worth bolting for what? 300 grand when you're making, I mean, he was already making over three. So this new bump, and I haven't seen an exact number. I mean, he might be closer to five now and all his assistants got raises. So the schools you think don't have the, the means to compete with you uh, financially, they now do in, in football. Uh, so congratulations to Matt Campbell and Iowa state. That's a great story. And look, we've already talked about college football has a little bit of a diversity at the top problem with the same schools competing every year. If we get to the point where every time a coach does really well at a less prominent school and he's just vultured by another school with more prominence, well, that just adds to the problem. So I, I'm, I want to see a Matt Campbell stay where he is. I want to see other coaches stay where they are. I think it makes it more interesting. I think Iowa state is a great story for college football. All right. Uh, final couple minutes. Uh, before JC, we get to uh, some final tidbits, including some interesting scheduling notes coming up. Do you want to mention Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage? If you are in the market for a new mortgage, a refi, a construction loan, any type of uh, real estate loan, it's all about the rate. I mean, you can dress it up however you want to do it, but interest is nothing more than wasted money to you. So why do you go with anyone other than the guy that's going to get you the lowest rate? I have no answer for that, and neither should you. The answer is to call Stuart Wingo, no matter where you are. I've used him multiple times in multiple states. Uh, he can take care of you, and he's very good at explaining it and taking you through what can sometimes be a little bit of a stressful process, a lot of anxiety when you're talking about that kind of money. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. 803-319-1777. That's a direct line, not a secretary, not a uh, answering machine. Direct line to Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. It's the one phone number I can give you in 2021 that will literally save you thousands of dollars. Uh, Florida Notre Dame going to play in 2031-2032. <laughs> I mean, that's that could change five times from now. I think yeah. the games in 2031 are already scheduled to play Texas, Arizona State, and FSU. There's no way they're going to play all four of those teams in the same year. But yeah. I do like the matchup. Yeah, and I, I've noticed Florida, too, has started getting a little more aggressive with their out-of-conference scheduling. I, I think for years down there, the the idea, Mike, was, and you've, you've seen this, well, look, we're going to schedule three teams that, that can't play dead in a movie, and we play Florida State and the SEC, and that's plenty. You know, <laughs> uh, but I think as I think what all all these games because Georgia's doing similar things. You, you see, you know, a lot of the the SEC schools kind of tweak their scheduling philosophies uh, moving forward. Uh, I think that's a sign the playoffs going to be expanding. And so, when it expands and there's more at large bids and there's more access, strength of schedule is going to play a, a bigger part. Uh, I think in it. And so, you know, you, you want to kind of go challenge yourself a little bit in the non-conference That's way down the road. But uh, I do think that, uh, you know, that that's the idea based on what I've heard uh, through the grapevine as to why you're, you're seeing, you know, some of these schools come off of, well, we play a, a, a tough ACC rival um, every year. Uh, plus, uh, you know, the SEC. So we're going to, schedule some patsies, you know, I think the feeling is that could actually hurt you uh, for an at-large bid uh, sort of down the road. So we'll see, you know, 
anything in the 2030s, I, it's hard to get on my radar, but I, <laughs> yeah. I, I am intrigued by Florida Notre Dame just because, uh, gosh, I think, Mike, if I'm not mistaken, the last time they played was Jerome that, was Bettis. that Jerome Bettis Sugar Bowl with yep. Spurrier. Was one of Spur- is the the year before expansion in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and that was you know they Florida had beaten no as it, it was it was the year that they beat Alabama in Birmingham I think uh, no, or maybe I think, not I, I think know, it was ninety one I think it was the that's year right it was ninety one title game and first. that Spurrier team they beat Florida State they 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 basically ran they 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 won their first uh, ever SEC championship back before you had an SEC championship game, they take on Lou Holtz and Notre Dame, and everybody's thinking, well, Florida's just going to outscore them. The problem was some guy named Jerome Bettis, he's still running for touchdowns um, against a, a pretty good Florida defense, and they won that game in 91. That's the last meeting. Um, and look, the meetings for Georgia against Notre Dame have worked out pretty well for the dogs. Uh, why not play a couple? And you hit on the biggest point, and that is everybody is anticipating by then this playoff as we know it will be expanded. Uh, my guess is to eight teams. Who knows? You know That'll be debated a million times. But uh, when you know that and you know you can lose two games out of 12 or 13 and still make the playoff, then the risk versus reward is much more heavily in your favor. No doubt. And I was mistaken. You know, I was thinking of the that 93 team that also went to the Sugar Bowl and, and beat the tar out of West Virginia uh, 41 to 7. Uh, so the Gators were in the Sugar Bowl that year. Just in my mind, I'm getting old, Mike. And so uh, <laughs> I was, but I remember that Jerome Bettis game. He, he was oh, like, we, yeah. we're just going to hand the ball to Jerome Bettis over and over again and let his physicality take over the game. That's and, what they uh, that, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you who the quarterback was that year for Notre Dame. Was, was it, it Rick? Was it Rick Meyer? I don't think. I, I don't, maybe it may have been because that, that was before Paulus. Um, yes, it was before, before Ron Paulus. Um, that uh, that's a that's a that's a rabbit hole I just got us into. Now we're now we're trying to pluck out the Notre Dame quarterback. It was, it was, it was Rick Meyer. It was uh, Meyer. Okay, and they had Jerome Bettis and Tony Brooks in the backfield. Rodney Culver was on that team. Yeah, South yeah. Carolina kid. Not bad. Uh, Meyer and uh, Irv Smith at tight end. Boy, was Brian. Zorich on D? Chris Zorich. Zorich, not not not. No, no, he was no. not. He was uh, Demetrius the- Dubose was uh, okay. Bryant Young was on oh defense. Bryant Young was stud for the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Burris, uh, another <laughs> South Carolina kid, right? DB um, certainly they uh, they, they, they had were some talent. A pretty good team. Now that was an upset, though. I think we have to admit. Oh yeah, yeah. That Florida's- Notre Dame team was like they had lost some games. I mean, they, they lost to Tennessee and got blown out at Penn State, and they had lost the game to Michigan. That Bo Schippenbecker beat me in Ann Arbor that year. Um, but <laughs> I have a terrible Lou Holtz impersonation. Any way to sneak in it. a Lou Holtz impersonation, you are going to do it. You are not going to be denied on it. I'm working on it, though, because it could be it's better. Not bad. It's, 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 yeah, not bad. it's kind of a, a cartoonish version of that. Yeah, so. well, I mean, in a lot of ways, Lou was a cartoon character. <laughs> I, I say that with all due respect. I mean, he was a unique individual um had a chance to interview him a number of times in south carolina and that that is a that's just a different dude like he you is. look into his eyes and you really didn't know what was going on like what what was inside that brain 
a hell of a coach. That's undeniable, but just a, just a different cat. Um, as we close things out, I, I did want to mention, I, ordinarily I do this thing and I have some fun with you, especially JC with your, your background and expertise in recruiting. Maybe we'll do it next week on how many two stars uh, and, and unrecruited kids start in the Super Bowl. But uh, I'll just leave you with this. The schools with the most players in the Super Bowl, LSU and Michigan with seven. Second place was Clemson, Penn State, South Carolina, and Iowa with four. Now, you could have won some money on that. Third, tied for, for, well, tied for whatever it is on this list with three players, FAU. FAU <laughs> had three players in the Super Bowl. Go, go Owls, hoot, hoot from the mean streets yeah. of Boca. Um, but I, I, the other thing I was going to say, uh, by conference, the SEC 32, the Big Ten 22, the ACC 14, the Pac-12 11, Conference USA with 10, the MAC with eight, the American with five. You notice I haven't mentioned the Big 12 yet? The Big mm-hmm. 12 tied with the American with five. Ooh, that's a problem. Oh yeah, that's it's an issue, and and and, and uh, I'll I'll say this: it's that those numbers are not surprising. You know, the the the, the team success, which is what you got to have to get in the Super Bowl, it, it's interesting because in a lot of ways you're, you're kind of beyond. I mean, I don't know. You're, you're sort of beyond the draft and all that. Uh, but but it is it does tell you this, Mike, and the FA. You know, I, like I was mentioning about the the Florida, the big three Florida schools. Well, that's telling that FAU has put that many guys in the NFL because those are guys that Florida, Florida State, and Miami missed in their own state in recruiting. And and that's what's going to get you beat more than anything, man, uh, is, you know, it's not so much about your four- and five-star players. You have to have those guys to compete for national championships and SEC and, you know, knock off, to knock off the big boys. You have to have at least a few. Yeah, uh, and you have to you have to recruit those guys over time. That they're more of like a a trend arrow than than it is like oh my god that team has nine four stars on the roster and we only have eight so we're losing. It's more of a trend arrow over time type of deal when you're talking about the star ratings. But if you don't evaluate where you're at well, and and you you let like you you hemorrhage players out of your own state because college football is still very regionally oriented. Um, and every one of these schools we've mentioned and the struggles they've had, well, they're, they're losing players out of their own state that they normally would get, Texas, Southern Cal, Tennessee, FSU. Uh, or they're not offering them, and then they're going elsewhere and blowing up. So um, I think that's interesting. To your point about the Big 12, uh, that's been happening. You look at the draft numbers for that league, and it's been down. I don't know why. Um, I have some theories maybe related to, you know, the style of play or, you know, the defenses aren't very good, um, all that good stuff. But they have athletes in that league, so I'm, I'm not sure what They exactly, got a ton on the offensive yeah, side. Yeah, I don't know yeah, what exactly the, the deal is there. So it's yeah. – it's uh, uh, that's the interesting, though. the biggest issue to me in the yeah. Big 12. They, they, yeah. they just they, – they don't have SEC Big Ten caliber guys on the D-line. I think D-line is, is – has – hard a position we were talking about nil earlier with danny cannell everybody knows the quarterback's going to get paid the running back the 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 game-breaking wide receiver i think d line 
could be some of the highest paid guys in NIL. Um, Because again, as I mentioned, and I'm not against it, but it's going to be a lot of artificial demand. I mean, it's not (laughs) the company that that spends $50,000 on a D lineman um, to sign autographs or whatever. He's not getting that bag. He's not getting an ROI return on investment. that's going to match the $50,000. He's doing it because his passion is for that particular team. He's a fan. Uh, that's where when people talk about NLI is true supply and demand, that's, that doesn't apply here. Uh, You you have to know that you have to understand the (laughs) economies of scale and everything you were taught in like micro and macro one hundred and one. that that, that's not going to apply in NIL. Um, One other thing I thought was interesting. I mentioned the SEC led the way with 32 roster spots, FCS or lower 30. So some of these guys that you watched on the Super Bowl Sunday, App State, Boise State, Bowling Green, BYU, Buffalo, Central Michigan, Colorado State, Ferris State. I don't know where that is. Grand Valley State. Harvard was represented. Hobart, Humboldt State, Jacksonville State. Go Gamecocks. Uh, Laval, which is in Canada. La Tech, Missouri, S&T. That sounds made up. Montana State, I believe Craig Kilborn went there. NC Central, North Dakota State, Old Dominion. Uh, that's where Tyler Henneke played ball. Prairie View A&M, Rice, South Dakota State, Southeast Oklahoma State. I think that's Dennis Rodman's alma mater. Uh, Troy, Valdosta State, Wagner, West Alabama, Western Illinois, and Western Kentucky. All guys, I'm assuming, JC, that were not five stars, four stars, or three stars. We're talking about a couple of kids that might have had a half a star, but they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. That's that's cool. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why you, you just never know in football. That, that's why sometimes I think when individual fan bases, the, the most ignorant thing fans do these days is, when they get a three-star recruit or, and, and that stinks because, you know, we used to have two-star recruits uh, and, and the definition back when we started all this was, well, most of your rosters in college football are made up of two-star guys because two-star is average. Well, because the number two doesn't come in the middle of one through five, you're kind of like, oh, well, three is average. And then that, all of a sudden there's a vast swath of three stars every year. It's such a big pool of players. It's really impossible to discern who good three stars are and bad three stars are. It's really a crapshoot. Uh, and then you have more and four and five star guys. Um, but it, it just goes to show you, you know, some fan bases, they'll get a three star guy and, and then they'll, they'll, they'll even to the point where they trash the kid, hmm. you know, or they trash the coaching staff for taking the kid. Uh, and then two years later, this kid's all SEC and, and he's a hero and they don't want him to go pro. Uh, and I think that's an unfortunate thing about our business and all that. And, you know, I, I think that the bottom line on recruiting rankings is number one, their projections. Uh, and, 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 and I see two people that like the boy with the portal now, boy, those five stars still, still follow you around, man. You know, they're like, well, why, why, why don't you, why don't you go sign this guy? He was a five-star. He, cause he sucks. That's why. <laughs> cause he can't play dead in the movie. That was a missed evaluation. Um, you know, and so, so I think that's bad too, that, you know, those stars follow you around, but it shows you in this game, you know, you, you do have to recruit well and, and you do, they do matter, you know, because you kind of can follow it through the years. The teams that recruit well are the teams that generally win. Right. Yeah. 
But you also can't discount players that aren't ranked high because 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 the, the rankings aren't really what that means. It doesn't mean that oh you have a team that lines up all these star rated guys, therefore you know this team's elite, and this other team that has three star guys doesn't have a chance. Uh, that there's so much that goes into it, not only winning and losing in, a, in an individual game, uh, but also, you know, putting guys in the NFL and things of that nature. So I, I just, you know, I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more intelligent approach uh, to the star ratings. Uh, and, and the bottom line is they matter, uh, but they don't matter into the, in the way that a lot of people think. I mean, you know, right. and, and I always, I always say this one more thing. I'll go back to Clemson. You go look at that first team that played for a national championship and then the first team that won it, it was a bunch of high three, low four-star kids, a majority of them from South Carolina uh, and Georgia and Florida and North Carolina, and then Deshaun Watson. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, you did have guys like Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence who, who were elite recruits, but, you know, you also had guys like Ben Bolware, who's just a good college player, who was tough as nails that was, you know, barely a four-star guy. And so like Mike Williams, Wayne Gallman, all those guys. So, you well, know, you can get there, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll to, to your point, I'll just add the guy that just led Alabama to a national championship, Mac Jones, was yeah. not one of those five-star guys. So, so was Kyle, Kyle Trask. You know, right. arguably two of the top quarterbacks in college football this year. Right. Were, were, you know, there were two that were elite recruits, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And then there were three that weren't Zach Wilson, uh, you know, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. So, and, 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 and I'll, I'll bet there were a number of people that saw Mac Jones and Kyle Trask and said, yeah, arm talent is there, but they can't run. And today's day and age, you can't win in football without a dynamic quarterback. Hmm. Tom Brady just won a seventh Super Bowl. might yeah. be the slowest quarterback we've ever seen. Congratulations to Brady. I know a lot of people hate him. And they've uh, done everything they can to convince you that that style of quarterback has no chance of success in today's day and age of football. My friend, if you can step up in the pocket and hit receivers and make big plays and avoid bad ones, there's always a place for you in the game of football at any level. That ain't changing. I love me some Patrick Mahomes. Don't get me wrong. Although I thought Tony Baselli's interview on Dan Patrick this week talked about the fact some of the best arm talent we've ever seen, some of the worst footwork. And that goes back to college when, you know, when you're at Texas tech and you just, you're, you're throwing it 60 times a game and you just pressure comes, you don't step up in the pocket. You just run around and try to make plays. And a lot of times that works did not work against Tampa uh, in an elite NFL defense, but uh, I'll leave on, on that note as uh, the, not only the college football season is over, the NFL season is over, but we are not over. We've got plenty of things to talk about. Uh, throughout the weeks on JC and Morgan. Our thanks again to Danny Cannell. We'll wind up some more quality guests for you. Love hearing from these folks. And we've got the draft coming. We got combines. We got uh, spring football around the corner. All good stuff coming down the pike in 2021. JC, enjoyed it as always. Oh, yeah. It was awesome, man. And, and looking forward to getting back after it soon. And, and hopefully we have a a renewing off season to where, you know, maybe about June-ish where we're full speed ahead towards a normal football season with fans and pageantry and, and all that great stuff. Sounds like a plan to me. That'll do it for us for JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll see you next time on the JC and Morgan podcast.